Good morning. Welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. We're having our missions conference this month. This morning, we had Brother Austin Teal, missionary to China, uh, preach to us this morning and show his work. And the title of his message this morning was A Sneak Peek. Please enjoy. Well, once again, glad to be here with you all today. If you would, uh, be taking your Bibles and turning with me uh, to the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, and I'm sure this is a very familiar passage of Scripture for us here today. Genesis chapter 22. Now, if you'll get to chapter 22, kind of hold your finger there and then flip back a couple chapters. Let's go to uh, chapter 12. Now, chapter 22, uh, you probably know, is the account of the Lord commanding his servant Abraham to offer his son Isaac there as a sacrifice uh, on an altar. Uh, But kind of leading up to that, um, I'd like for us to kind of take back step back a bit, get a bit of a, a big picture, if you will, of what's been going on. Now, we get in Genesis chapter 12, and starting out in verse 1, uh, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing." And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You may be seated. Um, Here in these three verses, we have a a very uh, interesting account. Uh, The Lord, he comes to this man named Abram. And he comes with what seems to be just very good news. He has, the Lord says, he has every intent to bless him, to make his name great. Um, He he says that he is going to bless those that bless him, curse those that curse him. Uh, And he says this right here at the end, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And what's so interesting about that particular sentence there is if we think back just a few more chapters back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 9, there was only one family on the face of the whole earth. It was Noah, his wife, their sons, and their sons' wives, a total of eight people that the Lord allowed to, uh, to go through the flood unharmed. And they're emerging from that ark, and, and there the Lord, He told them that um, they were to be fruitful and multiply to replenish the earth. Now, the Lord had told Adam and Eve way back when the same thing, to replenish the earth and subdue it. He kind of reiterates that command there in Genesis chapter 9. And so they had a job to do. They were to have children, for those children to have children, be fruitful and multiply, but not only that, to replenish the earth, which was just a fancy way of saying, spread out over the face of the earth, don't just stay clustered up in one spot. Well, we get, that's Genesis chapter 9. We get to Genesis chapter 10, and we read this really long list of all of these different what they call families or what they call nations and it's these immediate descendants of Noah and his sons. Some 70 families are listed off there and so it looks like they did pretty good on the be fruitful and multiply part. But then we get over to chapter 11 
And of course, that's the story of the Tower of Babel there. We get over there to chapter 11 and we realize they weren't doing so good on the replenish the earth part. Because whereas they were supposed to kind of fill out over the face of the earth and all of that, they decided, you know what? We're really good. We're really special. We're, they were arrogant. They were haughty. And they said, you know what? We're just going to stay here right here in this, this place. The Bible calls it a plain in the land of Shinar. We're just going to camp out here and we're going to build a tower. And we're going to show, out, show off how good, how great we are. We're going to build a, a tower that's going to make a name for ourselves here on this earth. And so they start making this tower. Now, in Genesis 10, it tipped us off and told us that old Nimrod, he was the one kind of spearheading this whole operation. And so he's out there. And can you imagine being there when they're building the Tower of Babel? I mean, this was like all of humanity in one spot, and they've all got this huge building project that they're working on. And I guess Nimrod, he's kind of the, he's kind of the, the overseer or whatever you, you'd call that out there kind of barking orders, telling people what to do. But one day, he's probably mid-sentence saying, now what we ought to do is get this particular slab and hoist it up there to complete the next layer of the tower. Gets mid-sentence and he looks over and the guy looks at him with a confused look on his face. And Nimrod's probably thinking, now hold on, what just happened? And he says it again, we need this slab up there to complete the next layer of the tower. And this guy looks at him and says, lo siento, no comprende. And they go back and forth. And it doesn't matter how hard old Nimrod tries, he can't get through to this knucklehead. He's just not picking up what he's laying down. And so he gets upset and frustrated, and I'm sure he turns over to his, his other right here, I guess his left-hand man over here, and says, well, I was trying to tell him was that slab needs to go up there to complete the next layer of the tower. And this guy, same goofy look on his face, looks at him and says, And they just start going all around, and they realize they can't even talk straight anymore. And the Lord came down, he confused their languages because he said, he, the Lord's thinking, you know, if you're not going to replenish the earth like I told you to, well, I'm just going to make you do it. Because think about it. Even just here, Chesbro Baptist Church, um, well, well, for instance, this meal that's uh, back there, if, think about if the Lord confused all of our languages. So that, and maybe just row by row. Maybe we went Spanish and then French and then Chinese and then Japanese and then Arabic and then, you know, and so forth and so on down the line. And then we said, all right, let's all plan a meal together. <laughs> or all right, let's all, let's all plan this, uh, this outreach event together. Or let's, uh, let's just get together and plan out how we're going to clean the church together. It'd be a task, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine? You can't even talk straight. And, and you're trying to tell somebody in, in Spanish what they ought to do. And he's like, I'm just, I just speak German. I don't know what you're saying. And, I mean, it's hard. And so after a little bit of that, they're just like, well, you know what? Well, forget that. We're just going to go and do our own thing. So they just leave off their construction project, and they just spread out, and they go all these different places. And that's chapter 11. And we get here to chapter 12. And it's so amazing. God just punished all of humanity, cursed them with all these different languages in the previous chapter. But God in love, he comes to this man, Abram, and he says, Abram, even though y'all messed up, even though y'all were arrogant and, and full of pride and you're trying to do all this your way, you weren't listening to me, you disobeyed me, but I love y'all. And I've got a plan to bless y'all. And Abram, buddy, I'm going, to try, I'm going to start doing that through you and through your family. The family, you don't even have a family yet. It's just you and your wife, Sarah, who's barren. But I'm going, I'm going to bless y'all. I'm going to bless this whole world through you, through a child that I'm going to give y'all. 
And, and that's what he says. And Abram, now he's 75 years old. His wife, Sarai, is 65 at this time, has no children. And they just, what do they do? They just pack up house with their wife, Sarai. Uh, he packs up house with his wife, Sarai, their nephew, Lot, and they just leave. Can you imagine? I mean, what do you tell your neighbors? You, you've been there for the last 75 years living, and all of a sudden you're packing up to go, and they're thinking, what kind of a midlife crisis is this? <laughs> this is like late life crisis or something. How, how does this work? And, and they're trying to figure it out, and, and they say, well, the Lord spoke to us. Well, who's the Lord? Well, he, he, he talked to us, and he said we ought to get going. So they step out in faith, and they just go. And, they, and it was a journey of faith. We see that. We get to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And the Bible says, And he, talking about Abram, believed in the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him, imputed it to him for righteousness. You know, friends, in the Bible, salvation, it doesn't matter. Genesis or Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, it's always by grace through faith. It's always about... It's never about what we do, what we muster up or achieve or any of that. It's all about us believing the Lord, believing what He does for us or believing what He's done for us. Abram believed the Lord. But you know, we keep reading even past 15.6 here and we realize pretty quick, you know, Abraham's not a whole lot, or Abram, as his name still was at the time, isn't a whole lot different than we are because his faith was still pretty small. It wasn't too much long after verse 6 here. Him and Sarai, they're there, I guess, in their, in their tent, and they're talking, and they're trying to figure out. They're scratching their heads. You know, it's been a few years since the Lord spoke to us back there in chapter 12. And, um, I mean, he, he said he was going to make us a great nation, and we don't even have kids yet. Something's not right. And Sarai, she, she's like, well, you know, Abram, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to be a part of this. Maybe that, I mean, that promise seemed to be directed at you anyway, so uh, maybe, it, you know what, I've got this handmaid, I've got this servant, we've we got this maid in the house, Hagar. Maybe if you just have a child with her, maybe the child that she gives you will be the way that the Lord brings about this promise, brings about this blessing. Uh, and so next thing you know, Ishmael is born to the handmaid, Hagar. And this was not God's plan. It's not what he had in mind. But the Lord doesn't immediately do anything about it. He doesn't storm down from heaven immediately and beat up on old Abram or anything like that. He waits. And he waits a while. It's a good 13, 14 years before the Lord shows up. And um, he comes and he's talking to Abram and he says, Abram, buddy, listen, I, I, know, you, I know you love Ishmael. I, I'll bless him. I'll make him a great nation. But the promise that I made to you back there in chapter 12, it's got nothing to do with him. It's supposed to be fulfilled through a child that your wife, Sarai, by the way, her name is now going to be called Sarah. Uh, it's going to be through a, a child that she gives you. And Abraham, that's your name now. I've got big plans for you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And sure enough, according to the word of the Lord, we get to Genesis chapter 21, and Isaac, the son of promise, is finally born. Now at that point, remember, they, they, back in chapter 12, they're 75 and 65. We get to chapter 21, they're 190. One's 100, one's 90. And finally, Sarah has a child of her own. Can you imagine the joy in that house? Because for the longest time, she was living in a household where the maid had a child that she wanted to have. And finally, 
the Lord has blessed her with a child. Can you, I can't even imagine how, how excited they must have been to finally have a baby boy of their own. That's Genesis chapter 21. And then that leads right up to Genesis chapter 22. And there's probably a bit of time that elapses there. We know that we're going to get about halfway through chapter 22 and Isaac is talking to his daddy. So he's at least old enough to have a conversation with dad, which, you know, I mean, that could put him, you know, at three or four years old or in his 20s or 30s or, or what have you. We're not really sure. But at any rate, some time has passed between 21 and 22. And that's where we're going to be for, for the rest of our time here today. Just before doing that, um, I'd like to share with you a bit uh, about a few years ago in China. It was summer of, I believe, 2014. Uh, at the time, I'd already been in China a good uh, three and a half years. And I was teaching English at this school. It was like a after-school type of school. So they, they go to their public school. These students would, elementary and middle school, they go to their public school. And then afterwards, their parents would sign them up for this, like, uh, extracurricular English class. They'd go and they'd get to practice speaking English with an American. And so that's kind of the way it worked. And so nights and weekends is when I taught classes. But then on the summer or during the winter holiday, they did these summer camp style things where I would teach a good eight, ten hours a day um, to the, these camp groups that would come through. And they might sign up for like a two-week course in the middle of their summer or something like that. So I had been doing that for a few weeks. And uh, there we were in the middle of the summer. And uh, I had taught, I guess, about four or five hours that morning, and lunchtime rolled around. And the school was real nice, gave me a couple hours break there around lunchtime. And so we were in the middle of downtown Longyen, which Longyen's this city in southeast China, home to about two and a half million people. And uh, so we're, I'm in the downtown area there at this school, and it wasn't but a few blocks away to get down to this area of the city that had what they call Snack Street. Now, Snack Street's real nice, and most cities in China have it. That's the place that's got all the really good Chinese food. That's the place that's going to have your fried noodles, your fried rice, your dumplings, all that good stuff, all your egg rolls and whatnot, and not so much have all the, all the weird stuff that you hear about China having that us Americans don't really like to eat. It's not going to have much of that scorpion or dog or anything like that. It's going to have the good stuff. So anyway, I, I start setting out to go down to Snack Street, and as I get going, it's a few blocks down. I'm walking down, and uh, I had been there plenty of times, and there was this one shop there, this beef noodle stew shop, that I'd been to a handful of times, and uh, there was this one young man there that I'd been praying for. I'd been sharing the gospel with him for a while, and his name is Mayong. And so I, I'm going down there, and I, I'm praying for Mayong as I go, and I get there. And uh, sure enough, almost like clockwork, I walk in, I sit down. The menus are already out there on the table, and he, he comes out of the, the back kitchen there getting ready to take my order. And... Um, it was kind of a, for whatever reason, they weren't too busy at that time, so... Uh, I, I, he, he just wanted to sit down and talk for a little bit, and it worked out because I had my Chinese Bible with me. And now Mayong, he's a bit of an interesting character for, for, that you'd meet over there in China. Here's the reason why. Mayong, if you were to look at him, he doesn't look very Chinese. He's from West China, and in West China, a lot of them, they're not ethnically Chinese. They are ethnically Middle Eastern. They're actually this particular... Uh, uh, man, Mayong, he is a member of the Hui group, and the Hui are, they're kind of a mix. They're half Chinese, half Turkic 
their, half of them, or their bloodlines descended from the country of Turkey. And so they're kind of this interesting mix. They look very Middle Eastern. They barely really look Chinese, but he speaks Chinese, and he also speaks his own kind of Turkic-type language. Uh, but another part of that, not only does he not really look Chinese, but whereas most, most Chinese are either Buddhist or they're atheist, Mayong is Muslim. And, you know, I had had conversations with my own before, and it was always interesting to me because here in America, we typically would, would perceive Muslims to be ones that are very anti-Christianity, don't want to have anything to do with us. However, over there in China, because of the oppression from the communist government and all the atheism and all of that going on, he would tell me, and he told me this a few times before, you know, we've got a lot more in common than we do with Chinese people. I mean, at least we believe something. And, and that's how he saw it. He, he figured, well, I mean, you're a Christian. You believe that there's a God. I'm a Muslim. I believe in Allah. We believe something. That's better than being atheist, right? And so he'd wanted, he was very open to talk about the Bible with me. Well, on this particular day, it was getting really close to this uh, Muslim holiday called the Feast of Sacrifice. And what's so interesting about the Feast of Sacrifice is it's a Muslim holiday that the Muslims celebrate a story that they read in their, what they say is a holy book, the Quran. And um, there in that book, there's a story that goes like this. The Lord, uh, or Allah, talked to Abram, Abraham, and told him to sacrifice his son as a, to Allah on a sacrifice, uh, on, on an altar. However, they say that the son is Ishmael, that Allah told him to sacrifice. Now, I come over there, and I know this holiday's coming up, and I've got the real book. I've got the real story, and I know it was God that spoke to Abraham. It wasn't a lie, and I know that it was Isaac that was required and not Ishmael. And I wanted to show him that, but not only that, what I wanted to show him was the greater than Isaac that we read about here in this chapter. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you see, I am convinced, friends, that here in the pages of Genesis, what we have going on is the Lord showing Abraham, showing us a sneak peek, giving us a preview of what's going to happen down the line. Because Abraham, he's still a couple thousand years or so out from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to live to see that day. But the Lord wants him to see that day. He wants him to kind of get a little foretaste of what it's going to be like. And so I was able to share that with my own that day, and I'd like to uh, look at that here with you all this morning as well. So here we are, Genesis chapter 22, starting out in verse 1. Uh, the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Verse 2, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, keep it in mind all that happened in, in leading up to chapter 21, leading up to this chapter. This is a big pill to swallow, wouldn't you say? I mean, put yourself in Abraham's shoes. You left everything behind well over 25 years ago. I mean, it, it's... It, probably a solid three decades at this point. You left everything behind with your wife and you were following after the Lord. He told you he's going to give you a son. He told you that he was going to make you a great nation. And, is, and in your mind, it's all riding on the son, right? And, and you're trying to figure out how this is all going to play out. You've had a lot of time to think about it. And finally, just a few years previous, he has given you Isaac. 
And you know that it's going to be through Isaac that all them promises from way back when in chapter 12 are going to start being fulfilled. And the Lord comes to you. Isaac doesn't have any children of his own. And he hasn't been used to fulfill that promise yet. And the Lord comes to Abraham and says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I try to imagine the way things are as they play out in Scripture and, and try to let it play in my mind almost like a visual. And, and I just see Abraham's face getting excited because he's probably thinking, this is great. The Lord's going to do something now. This is going to be the day. He's going to use my boy Isaac to bless all the families of the earth. Take my son, my only son Isaac that I love. Yeah, Lord, I'll do that. Where are we going? Who are we going to bless first today? We'll get thee into the land of Moriah. Moriah, okay, well that seems like an odd place to start, but I know it's just a few days journey that away. And when we get there, I guess we're going to start blessing the people over there in Moriah. And the Lord says... And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And I just see Abraham's face just fall. You want me to do what? With who? Uh, but, uh, you promise, Lord. I mean, you remember the bless those that bless thee, curse those that curse thee. In thee will all the families of the earth be blessed. You remember that part? Uh, this is I and Sarah and, and what, 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 uh, Lord, how is what? What are you doing? What are you doing, friends? I. It could be that today. It could be that over the course of the last week, perhaps longer that the Lord has been working in the hearts of some here today and kind of by His Spirit pleading with you, prompting you to take that which is most precious, most dear to you, and to give it over to Him, to entrust it to His care. And I don't know what that might be. It could be any number of things. It could be your time and service to Him. It could be some big decision that you've got to make and you know in accordance with God's Word, how you ought to go about making that kind of a decision. But for some reason, you lay up at night and you think, you know, ugh, Lord, that just don't set too well with me. And, you know, I, I think, I, I think what I'm thinking about doing over here, I think that'd be a whole lot better. Just, just, just personally, between me and you, Lord, I, I think that'd be a whole lot better. Um, but, oh, Lord, I know what you want me to do. You know, it could be... Uh, it could be some financial thing. It could be some dream that you have, some ambition that you've got, something you really want to do. And you know how the Lord would want you to go about doing it, but you think, uh, I don't know. Friends, whatever it is, if you're in a spot like that here this morning, let me encourage you. Learn from Abraham. Learn from his example. You say, well, what does Abraham do? Well, uh, we'll keep going here looking at verse 3. The Bible says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. What does Abraham do? 
The Lord has asked him to give his son over to him, to take his son's life for him. What's Abraham do? He wakes up early. He sets an alarm clock. He says, well, you know, the Lord's spoken. I'm his servant. I've got to obey. I'm going to do what he says. And he wakes up early. And this is amazing. Not only does he wake up early, but he starts making preparations because this isn't something he can just do it real quick. I mean, he's got a three-day trip involved. But he wakes up and he starts packing. He, he gets this, this donkey ready. He recruits help in the form of these two servants. Uh, everything's getting done. And then look at this. He starts chopping the wood to, to do this burnt offering. Now let's stop and think about that because if I was Abraham and I've got a three-day journey to Moriah on the horizon and I live before the invention of the pickup truck, I think what I might do is get out my, smart, my smartphone and run a quick Google search to see whether or not Moriah's got any trees. Because if they got trees, it sure would help out a whole lot to just wait till I got to Moriah to chop all the wood needed to do this. And I, you know, I don't know all the details, but, but just me thinking a little bit about this, could it be that Abraham's a lot like, now I don't know about y'all, but a lot like me, and that he knows that if on the off chance he arrives in Moriah and there's no trees there to use to do this burnt offering the right way, that he's going to use that as an out and as a way to not have to follow through and obey the Lord. Would you looky there, Lord? We're here in Moriah and there's no trees. I knew this was a test. You were just testing me, weren't you? You just wanted to know if I'd come all these three days. Well, I knew you was up to something, and I knew you weren't going to have me really kill Isaac. Okay, all right, we're going to pack up. We're going to go back to Sarah now. But he says, nah. -uh. He says, you know what, I, I might be prone to that, but I'm going to make sure that I don't do that this go-around. I'm going to have all the wood chopped and ready to go before we even set out. Why? Because I have set my mind to it. I will obey the Lord. And that's what he says. And, and we get here, and, and there's a lot of stuff that we're not really filled in on as we read verses 3 and 4, but you kind of have to wonder, what do you tell Sarah? Because she didn't go with him as far as we can see here in these verses. What do you tell her? You're getting ready to go to bed early the night before. You're setting your alarm clock, and she's looking at you like, why are you getting up so early? And you're like, well, honey, uh, talk to the Lord today. Yeah, you did? Yeah, I talked to the Lord, and he wants me and Isaac to go worship him in Moriah. Moriah? So I go too, right? No, 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 he didn't say anything about you. It's just us going. Moriah, that's like three days. You're going to be gone for like a week, aren't you? Yeah, it'll be about a week. Do you tell Sarah that she should not expect her only baby boy to come back after you when you get back? What do you, what do you say? What do you do? We don't know how he handled that situation, but we know he went, regardless of how it turned out. Then you got three days, and it's you and your son, however old he is, and you got these two servants tagging along behind you. Uh, what do you do? Do you enjoy the father-son time? Do you, do you get to, I mean, what do you talk about? Can you talk about the game? Can you talk about hunting? Can you talk about fishing or whatever? Or, or you just got this looming on the horizon in your mind and you're just distracted the whole time. And then you try to cherish kind of what you, what you guess are these last few moments with your son and you've got these two sets of listening ears eavesdropping in on everything you say. And that's just weird. 
Abraham, and I say all that to say this, Abraham could have come up with any number of excuses to say, Nuh-uh, not me, I'm not doing that, Lord, but he didn't. He said, you know what, God's spoken, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what he's told me to do. And he does. He, he, he gets going. They, they go these, this three-day journey. Verse 4, they get there. They're seeing the place in the distance. Verse 5, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, did you catch that there, friends? Here's what Abraham's saying. He's saying, all right, boys, gather around. Here's the plan. Isaac and I, we are going to go up to the mountain. We are going to worship the Lord there, and then we are going to come back down. Abraham's on to something. He's thinking somehow, some way, the Lord's going to allow Isaac to come down from the top of that mountain. And if all we had to go on was chapter 22 here, you know, we might be led to think that Somehow he knew what was going on. He knew that the Lord was going to stay his hand and tell him to stop. But you know, that's not what he was thinking. Thankfully, praise the Lord, we've got the whole Bible with us. We've got both Old and New Testament, so we can kind of cheat. We've got a cheat sheet. We can flip all the way to the book of Hebrews. And there in Hebrews chapter 11, you know what it says? It says that Abraham actually believed that God was going to raise his boy up from the dead. He believed that. He really believed that. And it's so wild when you stop and think about it because uh, let's take a moment to do that here. If, if us here, if Chessboro Baptist Church, maybe it's a time of testimony or maybe a time taking prayer request, something like that, somebody raises their hand and says, all right, please pray for me. The Lord is leading me to kill my child. What would happen? Would, would, would the prayer meeting just keep going like nothing happened? I'd certainly hope not. I, you know, I'd certainly hope that after we figured out this person's really intent on doing that, that we'd leap over a few pews, sprint down the aisle, get ready to tackle the man, do something to get him away from his kid. But then, what if we're like mid-leap over the pew, about to lay him out on the ground, and he says, now hold on, brother, I know what you're thinking, but it's all right. He told me to kill him, but I believe, I'm trusting that he's going to raise him back up from the dead when I get done with it. I mean, is that going to change anything? Again, I'd certainly hope not. I mean, I think we'd, we'd lay him out on the ground. We'd get child protection services on the, hotline, on the phone. We'd do all we could to get him as far away from his child as possible. And yet, and here's something. This is, this is something to wrap your mind around. This is, just listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 11, the reason it tells us that Abraham believed God's going to raise Isaac up from the dead is because God is commending Abraham to us as a man of great faith. And he's saying, remember how Abraham thought God's going to raise his son up from the dead? You be like Abraham. You believe like him. You do what he did. You trust God like he did. And we're looking at that, and I don't know about you, but for a second, you're kind of left scratching your head thinking, how does that work? He want, God told him to kill his son. He had every intent to do it, believing God was going to raise him from the dead. And God says, yep, you know how, you know how faithful he was to me? You know how he, he believed in me? You'd be like that. So how does that work? Well, you see, friends, Abraham been following after the Lord for quite some time. He's got a few decades of experience under his belt. And he's had some time to think about it. He's had a good three days to kind of run this through his head. And... Abraham got a hold of the trustworthiness of God. 
He got a hold of the faithfulness of God to keep His word and do what He says. Because Abraham's probably thinking, well, I mean, the Lord's spoken and He has said, through Isaac, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. But He also just showed up the other day and told me, kill Isaac. And I don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I'm just going to do what God told me to do. And He said He's going to use Isaac to bless him. So I guess He'll just have to raise him up from the dead to do that. And for him, that was all it was going to compute. That was the only way it was going to happen. Was, well, he told me to kill him, but he also said he's going to use him. And so if he had got to use him after I kill him, then I guess he'll just raise him up to use him. Amen? And that's just what he was thinking. Friends, Abraham got a hold of the fact that God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He does what he says. He doesn't shirk back and say, well, I know I said that, but what I really meant was, he doesn't say, well, you know, I did promise that back there, but, well, now we're going to do things this way now. No, God does what he says. It's as good as done when he says it. It will come to pass if it hadn't already. And friends, Abraham's God is our God. Abraham's God is our God and we know we can trust, we can believe just like Abraham that everything that God says in this book is true and will come to pass if it hadn't already. Because God is in the word-keeping business. Amen? He does what He says. Abraham got a hold of that. And friends, before us here today is, do we have a hold of that? Do we trust God? Do we take Him at His word? When we read the Scripture, do we say, yeah, Lord, You said that. I'm just going to take You at Your word. and I'm going to obey You. You said to do this. I'm going to do it. You're leading me this way. I'm going to follow. Do we have a hold of the faithfulness of God? And are we living accordingly? Keep going through here. We get to verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them, together. Now right here is a wonderful picture of that greater than Isaac that I was talking about. Because here's what's happening here in this verse. Look at it. You have... Abraham, his son Isaac. In verse 2, God calls Isaac Abraham's only son. You say, what about Ishmael? I don't know. But God said Isaac is Abraham's only son. And then here's this. You get to Hebrews chapter 11, and there it actually uses this. It adds a word to it in Hebrews 11. It says that Isaac is Abraham's only begotten son. And this only begotten son has wood, right here in verse 6, put on his back and is commanded to march up to the top of a mountain to die. Now, I've read that somewhere before, hadn't you? And it's like the Lord, it's like he's pulling back the curtain. It's like he's giving a sneak peek. It's like he's saying, Abraham, now listen, buddy, I can't let you live all the way you got to live to see my only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, die upon that cross and really bless all the families of the earth. You can't live that long. We're not going to do that. But I want you to know, because you're kind of an important part of this plan, and I love you, buddy, and I just want you to see what's going to happen. And it's kind of like, you know, at the end of Deuteronomy... Um, Moses, he's already spent 40 years going through the wilderness with that generation that didn't believe that God could, could do it and could defeat the giants there in the promised land. And so they're all wandering around for 40 years. That generation's pretty much died. The next generation's getting ready to go over Jordan. And Moses, he's re-giving them the law before they go over. But Moses, he couldn't go over. Because remember the deal with the rock, and he struck the rock twice, and God said, well, you're not going over. But God, in His goodness, in His grace, you know what He does? He says, Moses... Come here. 
Come here. Look, come here, come here. Well, let me show you something. He pulls him up on top of the mountain just across Jordan, just there at Jordan, and he says, look out over there. Look at that. You see that? You see what's over there? That's what you've been working for. That's what we've been, that's what we've been working towards for all this time, all these, these 40 years in the wilderness, all, all, all that time you were, you were keeping sheep over there, and then even back before that you were in Egypt. All of this has led up to that. Now, we can't, I can't let you go over there. We talked about that, but I want you to see it because I love you. I want you to see it because I'm a God of grace and I'm a God of mercy. And I just want you to see the fruit of all that you've worked for all this time. And the Lord's doing that with Abraham. He's saying, Abraham, buddy, come here. I want you to see this. You're going to put the wood on his back. He's going to walk up that mountain. And we're, we're going, I'm going to show you how this all works out. And the Lord, he's so good. He is a sweet God, is he not? He is a good, sweet God. Verse 7 and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's a smart kid. He, now, he's done this before. This isn't his first time going to worship the Lord with Daddy. And he's looking around, and he's like, Now, hold on, Dad. We got our checklist, uh, fire, wood, and you remember the most important part, the lamb? Uh, Dad, how'd you forget the lamb? We need a lamb, Daddy. Where's the lamb? We, we can't worship the Lord without a lamb. That's kind of the big deal. And Abraham's response to Isaac is full of faith. Look what he says in verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. God will provide himself a lamb. Friends, I stand before you today to testify that God has provided that lamb, and his name is Jesus Christ. The lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And if we just put our faith in him, we can be saved. Our sins can be washed white as snow by his blood, and we get to spend an eternity with him in heaven if we just believe. Isn't this amazing news? Isn't this like the greatest thing you've ever heard? That the God of the universe, your creator, your sustainer, he loved you so much, he commendeth his love to you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loves you. He has provided a lamb for you to die in your place so that you don't have to and you can live forever with him. He is a good God. And Abraham says, you know what, son? God will provide that lamb. Verse 9, And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. In my mind's eye, I can't help but think, I can't help but see the Lord Jesus Christ a few thousand years later being nailed to a cross of wood there at Calvary. Verse 10, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Verse 12, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. The Lord saw Abraham's faith. He saw that Abraham wasn't going to hold anything back for, from him. 
He saw that Abraham was going to give his all over to the Lord. And friends, the question before all of us here today is, does the Lord see your faith? Does the Lord see your faith? Does He see you trusting Him every step of the way in your life? Does He see you taking Him at His word? Does He see you taking those little steps of obedience just in the day in and the day out, following His word, living in obedience to Him and trusting Him for all that you need? Does He see that in your life? Does He see you willing to take whatever is most precious to you, whatever you cherish the most, and to give it over to Him? To entrust it to Him and say, Lord, I give it to you. Whatever you want to do with it. I, I give you my time. I'm going to serve you. I, you know what? I, I, I'm going to give that decision to you. I'm going to, I'm going to do what you would want me to do. You know what? I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to use my money right. I'm going to give the money to you that, that's due you. I'm going to give you that. Lord, I am going to worship you. I am going to honor you. I, I'm going to... You know what, Lord? And maybe the Lord's been, been dealing with you lately. Lord, I'll give my future to you. Lord, I'll serve you. I'll pursue that dream. I'll live for you. I'll do that. Will you give it over to the Lord? Will you trust Him with it? Will you give your all to Him? Because you know what? Just like Abraham was willing to give Isaac to the Lord, give his only son over to the Lord. The Lord was willing to give His only begotten Son to us. He gave us His all. He gave us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come, to live, to die in your place, friend, so that you might be saved. And if He's given His all to us, who are we to not say, Lord, I give my all to you. I'll live for you. I'll serve you. I'll obey you. I'll do what you say. I'll follow after you. I'll trust you because you obviously love me and I love you. Verse 13 and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now look at this. Here's another wonderful picture. We have a ram. That's like a lamb caught in a thicket, thorns by its horns. Because the Lord wants Abraham to know that one day that Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world, He's going to do it with a crown of thorns thrust into His brow. And that same Lamb of God, He's going to die, not just in the stead of Isaac like this ram does, but that Lamb of God is going to die in the stead of all the families of the earth. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. How do we know we can trust the Lord? How do we know we can step out in faith and trust Him and live in obedience to Him and all's going to be hunky-dory and okay? Because Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And friends, He has provided all that we need in Jesus Christ. He has given His Son to us. And if He's not going to hold His Son back from us, He's not going to hold anything back from us. Friends, if you know him, you're his child. He loves you as his child. And you know he'd do anything for you because he gave his son for you. If you're holding something back from him today, let me plead with you. Give it over to him. Entrust it to him. That decision, your time, your future, what have you, give it over to him. He loves you. 
He gave His Son to die for you. And this is, this is, isn't this like the best story in the world? Isn't this like the, the most wonderful thing you've ever heard? This is, this is the good news. This is the gospel. And as good and as wonderful and as amazing as this story is, you know the reason why we've got a missions conference, the reason why my wife and I are here today is because there are people, thousands upon thousands of people, there are millions upon millions of people in China and all over the world. They don't know this story. They don't know. They hadn't heard. And some of them, they're, they're so ignorant that like I was saying earlier, you talk to them about Jesus and they're like, now hold on, what's a Jesus? I don't know, whoa, 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 what's a whatchamacallit like that? Whoa, whoa, what's a Jesus? And they're dying in a place like China before all this coronavirus stuff started. The death rate was nearly 1,000 people every hour. Some 20,000 Chinese people by the day are passing out of this life and into eternity before they all got this coronavirus stuff, which I'm sure shot that up through the roof, the death rate. 20,000 people a day. And even more liberal estimates are going to say that they're in China. No more than about 5% are Christian. And that's even, I mean, that's painting with a real broad brush. I mean, anybody that claims Jesus gets lumped into that 5%. So 20,000 people a day, 19,000 Chinese people a day are dying apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and are going into a Christless eternity in hell. Not knowing about Him. Many of them saying, now hold on, what's Jesus again? Friends, this is why my, my family goes to China. This is why we're going. We want to tell them about him. Tell them this story. That day, uh, back in 2014, talking to Mayong there in the beef noodle stew shop, I was sharing, him, uh, sharing with him this chapter. We were flipping a lot to the New Testament to show how this is pointing to Jesus in a lot of ways. And uh, he was very interested and uh, very open to talk about it. Um, I came back a few more times to talk with him more, and this one day rolled around. I walked in there, sat down. He wasn't there. I was talking to one of the other guys working there and said, you know what, he's not working here anymore. I said, okay, well, where, where is he working? They said, well, he's got a relative up in Beijing. He took a job there, and, um, and he's not going to be back there here in Longyan anymore. And just like that, I hadn't seen my young since. Maybe he's trusted the Lord now. I don't know. I, you know I'd certainly pray that. But the thing is, you know, Myung, he's heard. He's heard the gospel. But there are so many more people in China. They know nothing of the gospel. Wouldn't you want to tell them? Wouldn't you want them to know? We're going to China. And friends, would you pray about helping us go and do that? Going to tell the Chinese people about the Lord Jesus Christ.